0: Amen. Welcome to Hope Community Church, uh, Lower Town. Glad you're able to make it. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, and uh, pastor here at, at Hope. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's hot in here. So I know I know that uh, it's hot. So it's probably just going to get hotter all summer long, which is weird because it's actually kind of nice out today. Uh, but apparently, it's always the same temperature in here as it was yesterday. So it's yesterday's air you know, that you're breathing and feeling. Um, I know we have those really silly kind of fans. I kind of got them as a joke, um, and uh, they actually have worked out very, very nicely for us. So feel feel free to avail yourself of that. And there is some cold water back here uh, on this left, uh, or my left, your right exit, so feel free to get that whenever you need to. Um, yeah, so have you ever been given a possible task? Um, I there was There's one thing that I was thinking of in particular that, that came to my mind um, back when I was... Uh, in, uh, let's see. In between high school and college, I worked at this camp. I told a couple stories from that camp I don't know, last week or two weeks ago. And, and I was working at this camp, and I was a dishwasher. Okay, and so there it was this tiny room, but there was 1,300 campers that would come into this camp every every week. Every, you know, So, so I'm, I'm washing dishes for 1,300 campers, and there was four of us, four full-time people. Uh, we were in the in this dish room by about 5 a.m. doing the cooks' dishes, you know, before breakfast starts. And we didn't leave that room until 10 p.m. Um, just doing dishes. So our break was hurry up and eat because dishes are coming. And it's just all we did. And uh, they did this family-style food, uh, if you will. So, like, there was a big table and all these, you know, little punks would sit around it. And then they would take these, these dishes, So like, they'd have a, a bowl, its own bowl for butter, Right. So every every table had a butter dish and every table had not just the plates and knives and cups, but then all the dishes for all the food that was passed around and all these different things. And so the food would the extra food would come back and and we're just hungry. So we're eating this food uh, that who knows who was touching that kind of thing. And and you're keeping it up on top of the up on top of the dishwasher to keep it hot, you know, and warm. If it was chicken or something like that, I'm sure it was really sterile and safe uh, for us as well. And and so we would do that, but the place would just be a mess. So I was the the first guy. So when the the waiters and waitresses came in, or the whatever, the people who took care of the tables, they weren't like, whatever. They came with these really nasty, dirty dishes, and it was just disgusting. And so I just wore plastic head to toe and I would just, all my job was, was take these dishes, put them in a rack, and just slide it down to the next guy, and then he would hose it off and throw it in the dishwasher. That's all I did. All I did was, all summer long, for $1.94 an hour, was to take all these dirty dishes and put them in a rack, and I got, it, it was the dirtiest thing, right? We just got caked and ketchup and mayonnaise and leftover food all the time. Well, the impossible task wasn't just necessarily washing the dishes, is what my boss would randomly do for us or to us. Uh, his name was Cal, and he uh, worked as a cook in the Navy, and he ran that place like the Navy. And so when he would, he would surprise us, not with like a surprise like uh, inspection of the kitchen or the, or the uh, dish room, he would surprise us by in the morning for breakfast, he would make us eat breakfast off the floor. All right, so he would just come in and he'd throw the pancakes on the floor, throw some syrup on top of it, and we had to eat it if we wanted it. So you better believe we had that place spotless, right? I mean, every single night we would just spend hours cleaning that because we thought, man, if we want to eat tomorrow, we might have to eat off the floor. It was an impossible task and it was stupid, um, but, but Cal did that and I'm a better man for it. At least that's what he said. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, and so the, the impossible task that we're going to be given tonight is to resist the devil. It's, it's this phrase I think sometimes in our culture, this, the devil this, the devil that, or the devil maybe do it, or we have these images of the devil, but who is the devil? We're going to look at that, and we're also going to see how, how in the world can we actually resist him. So we are in week uh, 20 of uh, First Peter. We've been going through First Peter uh, just this year. Um, and then our summer, we only have one more week of First Peter, and then we're starting what we're calling a summer series, but we're asking, uh, we're taking questions, if you will. Um, and so I never solicited any of you for questions, which I was kind of a dumb idea. If you do have questions, you you maybe, man, I've always wondered about this, um, feel free to shoot me an email. Just email me, brian at hopecc.com. Um, well, we're going to be covering a lot of different topics between here and also downtown. We're even picking different topics so we can try to get more uh, questions um, of things, of what how what do we do with science in the Bible? Is there something we can that we can do with that? What about abortion? Um, how do we deal with um, the LGBT community and all these different things? That these are real questions in our society and community that we want to be able to talk about. Um, and so, that's going to be the summer series. So that'll kick off in two weeks. Um, yeah. So that's that. So this week, uh, looking at First Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine, just two verses just resisting the enemy. I'm just going to go ahead and read these verses again because there's only two of them, so let me read these. It says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. So, we're going to see in this passage, not just this passage, but last week as well, these three imperatives, these commands that were given. And last week, I'm not going to go into it a whole lot, but humble yourselves, okay? So, he says uh, in the two verses right before that, in verse six, he says, Humble yourselves. You will be humbled. You will be humiliated, right? There's something that's going to happen because of your position in Christ. Because you say, I'm, I'm a Christian, that at some point something's gonna happen. You're gonna be humbled. So don't retaliate the way that, that your instinct might be to, to fight back, to, to yell at them and, and to make them look like an idiot, right? And to humble them. He's saying, you humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. That the king is gonna return. That, that, that He's gonna make all things right in due time. And went through all the verses in 1 Peter where, where Peter's saying, hey, let's, let's look forward to this future Future hope that we have. So that's the first one. But this week, well, now we're going to look at the next two. The next one then is be alert. He says, be alert and of sober mind. And so we can just kind of look at what what are the what are the definitions of these words? What what does it mean to be alert? What does it mean to actually be of a of a sober mind? Uh, and so I simply just did a little uh, definition uh, search. Definition of alert. Uh, it says this: quick to notice any unusual and potentially dangerous or difficult circumstances. Vigilant, I loved like the first example it gave. An, an alert police officer discovered a truck full of explosives. Whoa, geez, calm down here, Webster, all right? That's what it is though, right? It's, it's, there's something bad, there's something wicked, there's something evil, there's something that's dangerous that's gonna happen. So be, be quick to notice any unusual or potentially dangerous. Or difficult circumstances. That's alert. And then sober, this isn't necessarily what, what we would think, maybe in our culture, as far as I'm I'm not drunk, right? I'm, I'm sober, I'm the sober ride, I'm the sober cab. It's not what it means. This is serious, this is sensible and solemn. Right? So I'm gonna be serious in my approach. I'm gonna be solemn in this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this seriously while I'm looking for potential dangers and threats. Well. That doesn't really mean anything. Words, they're really important, but what's the point of this? What is the point of being alert and of sober mind? Well, in the context, he goes and continues, and I think you could say, I don't know, a better translation, but the word because in there, and some of your translations might actually connect the two. It's not just be alert and of sober mind, period, because this is connected. Why are we alert? Why are we actively seeking seriously danger says this because your enemy your enemy right, like you, the, again we're not going to look at like a definition, but an enemy is somebody who seeks actively seeks to do harm, like a harm to hurt you to, to, to kill, to seek and destroy that's what an enemy is. Um, I just got done playing football led by our own uh, Andrew Blofis he's in charge of the uh, league, uh, which is uh, it's great it was a lot of fun doing that. Um, I have an opponent, right? I've got a man across me, except sometimes it's Andrew. It wasn't like an opponent. It was just kind of like him. Was, uh, yeah, okay. There's, right, there's somebody lined up across me. There's another team. They're, they're my opponent. They're not my enemy, right? I'm not seeking to cause harm to somebody that I'm playing football against. No, if one, that's, that's not what you do. Right? And this is saying, this isn't just somebody that, uh, yeah, just every once in a while we're gonna, we're gonna have a little tiff, you know, we're gonna get in trouble, we're gonna argue about something. No, this is an enemy that wants to destroy you, that wants to seek and find and to do you harm. It's not just an opponent. So who is this enemy? It's the devil. Be alert, watchful, soberly, because your enemy who seeks to do you harm the devil. We have a really, really interesting view of the devil in our culture, right? I found this super weird image. Why? Why, why, why is this a thing, right? I don't, I've never, people just have too much time on their hands, right? So you've got this really white Jesus with like a, like a glued on beard. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. And then this weird looking lava devil, man, and they're arm wrestling. But honestly, in our culture, forget the goofiness of this. I think sometimes we, we, we do this in our society where it's like Jesus is the good guy, the devil's the bad guy, and they're equals, right? They're, they're yin and yang, right? It's karma. They're, they're fighting things out, good and evil, and they're, they're gonna fight this, this battle out and, and hopefully Jesus will win. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is king and Jesus rules over Satan. Satan is a creature. He was created just like you and me. And so we have to keep that in mind. They're not just these equals that are arm wrestling and, oh, man, who's going to win? We, we, we know how this story ends. We know that it ends with the victory of Jesus. I want to say a couple things about the devil, and there's a lot that could be said. And every semester, I teach a class um, in our systematic theology class on angels and demons. And I always start off with this quote by C.S. Lewis, and this is um, right at the beginning. It's in the preface of his uh, book, *The Screwtape Letters*. Um, and in the book, I'll just in the book, what he's doing. He's it's Uncle Wormwood, and he's writing. Wormwood is a demon, all right. He's like a captain demon. Then he's writing letters to his nephew Screwtape, or is that the way around? Is that right? Other way around. Screwtape is the uncle. Wormwood is the nephew. And he's writing these letters to him, encouraging him uh, how to, basically like we would think like, oh, everybody has, a, has a, um, a guardian angel. Everybody also has a guardian demon, if you will. all right. And this demon is in charge of this individual. And so this demon is, is writing letters to his nephew, trying to encourage him how to continually be deceiving this individual that is in his care. in the preface of this book, C.S. Lewis says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I love that phrase of just somebody says says, this is stupid, it's foolishness, just forget about it. He said, yeah, he says, I I think the demons like that because I can plant thoughts in your brain. I can do more with you just dismissing it outright. And the same person who who enjoys this and and gets involved with with the magic or the dark arts or anything like that, I'm not saying like Harry Potter's evil. Don't hear me say that. Um, But if you're like actually trying to conjure up some stuff, yeah, stop that, okay? That's not not okay, okay? They view that with the same delight. So we have to be careful with this, right? We have to approach this seriously and alertly because these demons and the devil seek to do us harm. And so we have to be careful. I was gonna look at, man, where does the devil come from? And we gotta, you know, we get into that, all that history and all those fun things. But all we know is that in the beginning, God creates everything, right? And he creates angels and he creates angelic beings, which Lucifer was one. He was a beautiful angel, a, mus- a magician, a magician, a musician, right? He's this, this beautiful angel that had this incredible gifting and ability, and yet somehow he was given a choice and he chooses to reject God. He wants to be equal with God, and so he's, he's kicked out of heaven, as we're gonna read later. He's kicked out of heaven, and what's he do? Immediately starts to deceive and immediately starts to lie and he deceives Eve with the same lies that every single one of us are told. Did God really say you will surely die? Did did God really say don't do that? Did God really say that you should love one another? Did God really say that when you're humbled you shouldn't retaliate? I mean, did he really say, did he mean that when he said it? It's the same thing, the pride of life. All these different things that that he gave to Eve that he tempts Jesus with, In John chapter eight verse forty-four, it says, "This you belong to your father the devil, and you want to uh, and you want to carry out your father's desires." So now, speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. This is Jesus talking. This is who the devil is. There's there's no truth in him, and so when you hear that that voice, maybe not an audible voice, but you you hear this. Thought in your brain that says some kind of lie. There's no truth in that. Don't listen to that. He goes on and he describes him as a roaring lion. Be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, right? Lions aren't cute. Like they they are for about two months and then they can kill you right? They're, 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 they're not these playthings. That's the whole image and the whole thing that he's painting with this is that this is an intense, ferocious, untamable animal that will kill you the moment it gets its chance. Uh, when I was uh, in high school, we had this, uh, I went to a large church in Illinois, and we actually had a, a deaf service. Um, and uh, every once in a while, they would have a translator. So we could, we could go and we could listen to, the, to our, uh, our, we had a pastor on staff who was deaf. And, but every once in a while, they had a translator who, who would speak what he was signing. And, and so we could sit in every once in a while. And, and he was speaking and he was talking about this one day that he went to uh, the zoo. And he went to the lion exhibit. And as he was in the lion exhibit, I guess the lion just let out this huge, ferocious roar. And and our deaf pastor at the time, he said, I thought I was deaf until that lion roared, (laughs) right? He he felt it, right? He He could feel the roar of this ferocious animal. That is what Peter is likening the devil to, a ferocious animal that will kill you and won't even think twice about it. There's no sympathy. There's no empathy for you. Who's gonna miss you? Who are you abandoning? He's gonna kill you unapologetically. That's what he does. He is our enemy who seeks to do us harm, and he seeks uh, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Those are, not, those are not pleasant images. It's pure wicked and evil. But yet, that's not how the devil necessarily operates, jumping around and pouncing on people and eating them. That's not how he functions. Right? This, is one of, this, is a, this is a terrifying verse, Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says this, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That right there is how the devil devours people. He whispers lies into their mind, into their soul, it says, that, that thing, your faith, it's not real. I mean, have you read the Bible recently, right? Have you, have you read the latest scientific journals? They don't even, com- they're completely in contradiction with one another. It's fake, it's a lie, it's a, it's a, it's a falsehood. Just walk away from it and, and slowly but surely, we're just led away from the sincere and pure devotion that we once had in Christ. I've seen this happen a million times. I've seen it with my own friends and family and loved ones that were sincere. They believed. And they start hearing the lies of the devil. Just like Eve did. Did God really say? And that we would be led astray. That's how the devil devours. And then finally we get to this kind of last last point of how do we resist him? How, what is this impossible task? But what's beautiful about this passage is it says simply, resist him. Period. Re- resist. Well, it's a comma. Okay. But you, you can resist him. He doesn't say, hey, just, just do your best. I mean, you can try to fight him, but it's no, it's, there's no help. There's no, no point of this. He's saying, is a, as a command, as an imperative, resist the devil. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I love that image of standing firm. The apostle Paul uses the same imagery in his book in Ephesians when he's talking about the armor of God. Let me, let me just read these verses, Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take, listen to how many times he says stand. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. All right? right, I'm not, I'm not fighting some war uh, with some sword, right? This is, this is me mentally. I need to be prepared for what's about to happen in my battle with the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right, that, that's who we're fighting. That's the devil that we're fighting. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, All right? It says it a lot. gonna say it again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, in the King James, it says, gird your loins uh, in case that's an easier translation for you. Uh, 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That we take all these gifts and the, the armor that God gives us and then this word of God, this sword, and it's kind of cliche, but the sword is the only thing in this entire this list that can be used as an offensive weapon. right, when I want to fight the devil, what do I do? I quote scripture. I quote back to him the words of God that he just can't stand to hear. That's what Jesus did. right, think about that. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, hey, Jesus, you're really hungry. Turn those rocks into stone. Think about this. Jesus could have said anything, and it would have been Scripture. I mean, he's God, right? I mean, he could have said anything he wanted to tell the devil to go away, and he doesn't. He quotes scripture. And that's what we need to do, right? Memorize the word of God. Put it in your mind so that when temptation comes, we can call it out. That is the word of God. And as we look at this, he then says, resist him, standing firm to faith, because you know that the family of believers that there is something about doing this together that allows us to stand firm in the faith, that we cannot do this on our own. And if I, I've said this a million times, and I know if you've been coming here, you, you know this phrase, right? But my relationship with Jesus is a personal relationship, but it was never meant to be private, that we are to do this together. We are to strive together. There are these legionnaires, right? In the, I'm pretty sure this is just like an image from the gladiator or something like that, but, but... Just let me talk this is what they were just impenetrable wall of shields they could maneuver around and this was a really cool war tactic back in the day they had this the Greeks had this phalanx it was this huge thing that they would come with these super long shield or the super long spears and then the the legions right the Romans they figured out how to fight against this impenetrable phalanx and they just grouped together with their shields and they got in really close. It was this unimaginable thing, but guess what? If the guy next to you drops his shield, you're all toast. That's how this works. You have to rely on the person next to you. Matter of fact, even their belts sometimes, they would click, they would loop, loop their belts in with one another so that they were just unpenetrable, and they would move together as one, and that's what we're called to do, that we're called to be united in our efforts, called to be united in our stand against the devil. So when he throws his darts, when he throws his doubts and his fears, you don't just live in your own mind wondering, man, is this true? Is this really what God said? We can talk about it. We can ask questions. We can have conversations about this. As hard as those conversations may be, that's what we're called to do, is to strive and do this together. We can do this in small group. We can do this at men's breakfast and women's Bible study and all these different ways that we're trying to do that and build community These are just more ways that we get to do that. We get to strive together and get to know each other and hear each other's stories. And so we do this together. So finally, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That's supposed to be encouraging from Peter. What he's saying is you're not alone in this. But that's encouraging to me. I remember when we first started this church a couple years ago, there were 23 other churches that were starting within the Twin Cities. That was really encouraging to me. Right? It was like, oh they, they they know what it's like. They know what it's like to try to find a building, they know what it's like to try to find parking, they know what it's like to try to raise money. Nope. Oh, they know what it's like. It's encouraging. And so even now to this, when we read this, to say that we can resist them because we have so many people who have resisted the devil in the past and we can look to that great cloud of witnesses that surround us and we can look to their example and we can pray for those individuals who are actually suffering blatant persecution because they're Christians. And if they can do it, then I believe we can too. Finally, I wanna end with just looking at this idea of victory. In Jesus. Um, when I played football in college, we were terrible. Um, and we would uh, end every game, uh, no matter how bad we were, with singing the old hymn, Victory in Jesus. And it was hard sometimes, right? Because we just got smoked. Uh, and here we are, we're going to sing Victory in Jesus. and It was kind of cheesy, but at the same time, man, my, my, my identity wasn't in the scoreboard, that's for sure. My identity wasn't in how many sacks I had, it wasn't in how many fumbles I had. Was, my victory was in Jesus, period. He won, and that's what matters. And so I want to read this really cool story in Revelation chapter 12. It might not be a very familiar passage, um, but it's one that I think it just screams that Jesus has won the victory that when the Bible says, stand firm, you actually can stand firm because we worship a savior who's alive and who is one, period. Book of Revelation can be uh, sometimes difficult to understand, but just keep this in mind. It's apocalyptic literature. Um, it's, It's telling, it's looking at some different stories, whether it's historical mixed with a little bit of future, all these different things, but it's just using very fanciful language to really teach a simple truth. So, don't get bogged down in some of the details. Just know Jesus wins this victory. So, in Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So, just bear with me as I read this. It says, Great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and the crown of 12 stars on her head. This woman in this, there's going to be different things that are represented. Uh, Satan is is this dragon that we're going to see. But this woman is going to give birth to a child. And this woman, as we look at it, is, is going to be Israel, all right, the nation of Israel. Uh, and this child that is going to be born is going to be Jesus. So let, me, let me read this. A great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. And his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. This is Satan's fall out of heaven as he takes a third of the demons with him. So the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Right, not a pleasant image. That's Satan. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. As we look at this dragon waiting for the birth of Jesus, waiting for the birth of the Messiah, the devil knows the story, right? He he knows what's gonna happen. He knows his days are numbered, as this passage is even gonna say. He knows it. So he says, I'm gonna try to destroy this child because this child is gonna crush my head. He's gonna kill me, he's gonna destroy me, so I must destroy it, I must destroy this Jesus. And we see that with King Herod as he goes and tries to kill every child who's two and under that are in Bethlehem. But Jesus is snatched up, he ascends into heaven, he wins the victory, he goes to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days, a really long time. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. You want to talk about equals who are arch enemies? It's Michael and the devil, not Jesus and the devil. Michael and the devil fight a lot. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down and triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. Do you you hear that? The, The accuser, Satan, that when he was at one point allowed into the presence of God and he would say, hey, you see that individual? You see what they're doing? You think they're a follower of you? He's been cast out. He's been kicked out of heaven, and he can't accuse you. And when he accuses you, he says, hey, do you see what Pastor Pastor Brian's doing right now? And you know what Jesus says? Ah, you don't get to call him out anymore. You only can point at me, and I'm okay, because I'm God. That's the triumph that he's given us. They triumphed over him by the blood of the land and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, right? Listen, death has nothing on me. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because of what Jesus has accomplished. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury. That's us now. Because he knows that his time is short. He knows that when Jesus won the victory, When he shed his blood for my sins and for your sins, his days were numbered. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled onto the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to that male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. And so she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged at the woman and kept off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, the church. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. That what the Bible teaches that those of us who stand firm Against the devil that stand fast, that, that fight and resist temptation and sin. The devil's coming for you. That's what it means. But the beautiful thing about it is our testimonies in Jesus that he's won the victory, that Satan can't accuse me because Jesus has already won. So, in gospel application, first and foremost, Jesus won the victory. He's won. He's seated on a throne in power and authority. Jesus has won the victory. Are we being alert? Are you alert? Do you, do you take things for granted? Do you just assume, oh, that's just, that's just me? Have you ever once stopped to think, is there some kind of spiritual warfare happening here? Can you, should you be proclaiming some scripture and some, some words from God to say, get out of here, devil, because you got nothing. Your days are numbered no matter what you do. Are we alert? And are you standing firm with fellow believers? There is a a meme, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but the question was asked, is it possible to be a, a Christian and not go to church? And the answer that was given was, yeah, the same way a zebra is still a zebra when it's being eaten by a lion apart from the herd. Listen, are you standing firm with fellow believers? When you try to do this on your own, it's easy pickings because he is a predator and he seeks to kill and destroy and lead us astray and tempt us the same way that Eve was tempted and put that question to our mind, Is God, did God really say? Well, what we know God really did say is that your sins are forgiven. That when Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me and except through me. And so we, he shed his blood for us and he, he broke his body for us so that those of us who would bow the knee to King Jesus would say, yes, I want to be with you. And he did that for us so that we can have eternity with him in glory. So as we've taken these elements, all I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus, and the juice just represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us and the, and the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken. There's a, a gluten-free option on this side if that's a dietary need for you. And I would ask that you're a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church for that matter. And maybe you've never taken communion before. Maybe you've never said, man, I've never followed Jesus. I didn't, I didn't realize he won the victory already. Maybe tonight could be the first night. Will you bow your heads and pray with me as we sing, as we rejoice, as we partake of this sacrificial meal that Jesus instituted thousands of years ago. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage that we have been given tonight from First Peter. Thank you for Peter's words of encouragement, of saying that we need to be alert, a command. We need to be ready. We need to be watchful, looking for this lion, this great enemy that seeks to do us harm. And when we spot him, when we see him, to call him out to our community around us, and then to stand firm, together, united as one, with one mission, one goal, and that is to defeat that old serpent by your power, by your word. So God, I pray that you would give us encouragement, those in this room that may be under that pressure of of hearing those little doubts pop into their mind, of, man, did God really say, that it's this, is this really true? Is this really the only way? God, would you just get rid of that? Would you speak truth into their hearts and their souls, their minds, and would your word take root in them and grow deep roots into your son, Jesus? And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.